Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Welcome to Bible Unmasked, Episode 2. Um, Pastor Jen and I are going to be delving deep into uh, the Bible. We're going to be starting in uh, Genesis 9 and going all the way to 31. That's a lot of material. I hope you had time to get into it this past week because it's fascinating history. So we're going from Noah as they leave the ark after the flood all the way to Jacob's exile away from his family with his uncle Laban. So that's a lot of stuff to cover, and I sure hope you got to read it, because it, it's not just good theology. It's mm. just interesting storytelling. Mm-hmm. And we're going to jump into it, and I tell you, we've got a lot of questions, so I'm not going to ramble on too long in the introduction. Don't you love people that just love to hear themselves talk? I'm not that guy, okay? <laughs> but let's, let's get into the, the questions, because there's some great questions. What do you think, Jen? I mean, we got plenty of good questions this week. I think I think we do have a bunch of great questions. Um, would you like to start us off with prayer, Principal Rob? I would love to. Let's bow our heads to prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your gift of your word in the scripture today. And I ask, Lord, please, as we delve deep, as we get into the nitty gritty of what is written, that the words that we say will be the words you'll want us to say, and that our interpretation will be guided by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know that for those of you, if this is your first night here, um, we just want to quickly go over what was said last week. As Principal Rob mentioned, um, it was over Genesis 1 through 8, and Pastor Joe and Sister LaVon covered, as you would know, the history of creation, the Garden of Eden, and life um, in Eden. They also covered the f- temptation fall and the fall of man, um, and all the way on up to Noah and, and how that came into play. And so now here we are starting from chapter 9. And it is incredible. I feel kind of, I don't know. I don't know about you, Principal Rob, but I I feel like we were just given a ton of information and verses and chapters to sift through. I think Pastor Joe and Sister LaVon got got a a better deal, right? They had like a short, they had a short uh, stint there, but this is a privilege this is a privilege for us to delve even deeper so i'm just gonna say that what we have um covered in genesis 9 through 31 is exactly what principal stevenson did just starting with what happened after after the flood and all the way on up to the exile so go ahead go ahead and go ahead and start principal rob all right. Well, I'm just going to give a quick overview. I, I just made uh, in my notes here so that for those of you who didn't read, please read this. But for those of you who didn't read, just so that you're not being hit blind by this, okay? So we've got um, 
Genesis 9, that's after the flood, that's a covenant with Noah. Okay, Genesis 10 um, are the nations after the flood. Okay, so it sort of gives the genealogy of the world and how some of the nations that we can even recognize today were started back then. Interesting, and then some people like don't take the genealogies uh, um, seriously, but it's mm -hmm. interesting uh, looking at that. We got the Tower of Babel with the confusion of human languages, which forced um, people to uh, to uh, populate the entire earth. Then in Genesis 12, you know, Genesis 12, we've got the call of Abraham. We've got Genesis 13 with Abraham and Lot. Um, we have um, God's covenant with Abraham, Hagar and Ishmael, which of course started the mess we currently have in the Middle East. Um, <laughs> we've got you, we, we, we've got the issue of circumcision got started back then. We've got the three visitors that visited Abraham on the way to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've got Abraham's um, negotiations with God, which I find very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. okay. um, mm -hmm. We've got Abraham and Abimelech, where Abraham was afraid Abimelech was going to steal, kill him because he had a beautiful wife. Guys, marry ugly women. But, but the... <laughs> The next thing is, sorry, I just had to slip that in. You know, if, 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 you're, if you're scared about that happening, just marry a good, ugly girl. They'll really be appreciative. I'm just telling you. Um, and never come across first, a king. Yeah. He says, no, that's not. That's my sister. Okay. Yes. We, I thought, you know, he, he pulled that one. Okay. Then we've got the birth of Isaac. Okay. We've got Abraham tested with Isaac, where, where, where the God told Abraham to kill his son. And um, we got the death of Sarah. Then we get Abraham, Isaac meeting Rebecca, beautiful love story. We got the death of Abraham, which is very sad. We got Jacob and Esau, okay, mm -hmm. which uh, and, and and that whole situation, okay. Then we have Isaac following in his father's footsteps and lying about his beautiful wife to Abimelech again. Again, Abimelech was sick of these insecure Israelite men. I'm just going <laughs> to say about that. Um, and, and then uh, we, we move into the, the, the sibling rivalry between, um, between Jacob and Esau that obviously ultimately led to Jacob stealing the birthright from his father and out of fear, having to run and find his mother's relatives and move in with them for a while until things sorted out. And so that is the quick of what we were reading this week. I, yes. I hope that makes his head spin. But it's a good Sabbath afternoon reading if you want to pull up, put out your Bibles after we discuss it. If you need drama, you will definitely find a whole lot of family drama just in Abraham's family lineage right there. D drama after drama after drama. Yeah, if you think your family's dysfunctional, <laughs> yeah. This is where it started. So you can blame it. You can blame it right back to the beginning. You know, I'm, you know, I'm just saying. That's it, ma'am. And so we, we got some good questions, Jen, and I will tell you, if we're going to answer half of these, we're probably going to have to jump in. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay, so chapter nine. Here, here, here's a tough one. We can get ourselves in plenty of trouble with this one. Is the rainbow a natural physical phenomenon, or does God place the rainbow in the sky when it rains? Is it and that well okay it is it is both we know that is science has proven that it is a physical phenomenon in which 
it is the reflection of the sun upon the water. And then you see all these beautiful colors. I'm not sure if people even know that there are such things as double rainbows. And if you really take a step back from the reflection, it's a reflection all around, you know? So that is the physical phenomenon, but we have to remember that this ultimately is the sign. This was the covenant that God made with Noah and really the rest of the earth. So as you say, he is the sender of the rainbow to remind everyone that there will never be ever again such an event where he will flood the entire earth or he will take everybody out because of all, all that had happened. As we know, he sent the flood because of all the all the corruption that was going on with his people. And so in so sending that flood, he eliminated everything, not only the people, but he eliminated the creatures that he had created. And so now this is a promise to not only the people that are new dwelling upon the earth, but the new creatures. He's sending a promise and reminding himself of the covenant, covenant that he made with Noah that this is not going to happen again. And so it is, it is a natural thing. And um, interestingly enough, I read another, um, I read another, because I read further. And if you go into, if you read mythology and so forth. Now, when you think about um, the Hebrew, Hebrew times, the, it was called, what they had to fight with a weapon was a bow. Right. And so what what it was some information that was interesting was that um, the bow was used to point at people to harm them. Right. But now the rainbow could also be looked at as a bow that is pointing toward the sky. And there is no strings that will pull a weapon, but it's pointing to the sky away from humanity. Interesting. I found that very interesting. I'm like, oh, that's a piece. That's a nugget that. It could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, it, it, it is both. And, and we, we know that God uses natural phenomena to show yes. his power. And so let's, let's jump into number two. And then number two is an interesting one for me, because for those of you who know me, I was born in the Republic of South Africa. I grew up in South Africa during the apartheid era. And when I grew up, in South Africa during the apartheid era, in Christian schools, unfortunately, we were mm -hmm. told that the curse of Ham was placed on black people, which justified our sub the South white South African government subjugation of the African majority there. Okay, so wow. this question, yes, and, and 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 as a child, I knew that was bogus. I think I first came across that. I think I was in the fifth or sixth grade, and I raised my hand and I told my teacher, much to her chagrin that she was full of it, um, and, and which I got severely beaten for, by the way. But wow. it was a beating, uh, it was well, well, it was a caning well, well, well taken. Um, but it says here, if Ham, Noah's son, did something wrong, why is it that his son, Noah's grandson, was cursed? Is there a connection between that curse and the slavery of black people? Uh. Ooh, good one. Let me let me answer. Well, I'm going to try to answer the first part, and you can answer to the second because of all that you have just shared about what you were taught growing up. Yeah. Um, 
what I read was that, so we say, well, if, if you look at this verse, if you had time to look at this verse, um, Canaan was cursed. Right. Right. Canaan was cursed, but it was his father. It was his father who had mocked Noah, his grandfather. And the whole thing that came about from that was Noah had built the vineyard one night. He got himself drunk and somehow in his tent, he was uncovered. And um, Ham happened to come upon his father uncovered and and as one could read the text, it would say that he saw him uncovered, he mocked him, then he went outside and told his brothers, um, oh, come and look at dad. And, and so the brothers came in and they walked in backwards. So they averted their eyes and they walked a blanket in backwards and covered their father. Now I know that in Leviticus, there are laws that says thou shall not see your father's nakedness uncovered um it it was it is a shame to see the uncovering of your parents's genitals and so that was the general thing i know that there are other issues that people try to make of this they try to insert incest they try to insert a whole bunch of things. But I believe that if that had happened, God would have actually said that that had happened. All, he, all it says, the Bible says, was that Noah woke up and knew um, what had been done to him, kn knew that he had somehow been mocked and, and uncovered and so forth. And so I would think that the reason he hurt, cursed Canaan was because the, the punishment has to go somewhere. And he's going to curse, um, not specifically Canaan, but the whole line of him. And oh so, th therefore, that's why I believe that the curse went upon him. Um, but what do you think? And plus, you also have that th um, the verse that says, and the curse will be upon generation to generation to generation, right? I, 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 I think also it has to do with honoring your father. And mother, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he didn't honor his father. He mocked him. And right. uh, and and the second part of the question, when it comes to the slavery of black people, um, let's talk first of all about the genealogy, and that's why it's there. Mm. Okay, who got subjugated in the Bible when the children of Israel returned from Egypt to where the land of Canaan? Canaan. They didn't go to Africa, guys. They went to the land of Canaan. Okay, Canaan was the one who received the curse. The people of Canaan were the people that God went and, and tried to obliterate through the children of Israel. So, so it, 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 and, and that was the argument I made with my teacher that I got thoroughly beat for growing up. You've got to be smart and look at the Bible. The Bible will explain it. Okay, now slavery was a, happened generally and many races of people were enslaved. Okay. Um, in North America and in the Americas, obviously there was a large African group of slaves, but those of you who are from Jamaica know that there were, there were a large group of Catholic Irish slaves that mm -hmm. were in Jamaica. There were Scottish slaves in North America after the defeat of Scotland. Um, in Bible times, slavery was an established tradition. In fact, the Bible didn't even condemn slavery. It was actually after the enlightenment in Europe 
that slavery was generally condemned, okay? And the Quakers in North America were the first religious group who took it upon themselves to stand up clearly against slavery and, mm-hmm. and, and the injustice was to mankind. But, but slavery was, was, an established, was an established part of society for many, many years, okay? So, so this, this, this biblical story in, in no way insinuates that the people who were slave were a race, but descendants of Cain, who were the Canaanites, who were the people that the Israelites attacked after their after their um, uh, after they and, and, and displaced after their exile in Egypt. So so it, it's definitely not a race issue, and I think we need to be careful to uh, be be cautious when we try to um, to to place our our earthly ex- current contemporary earthly experience into a biblical setting and mm-hmm. and there are injustices that happen in the world yes. and uh, we definitely need to do our best to cor- to correct them and make sure that they're straightened out um, but let's not allow anybody as i didn't as a child to use the scripture as a springboard to be a a a a, a a justification for for treating anybody badly okay genesis 10 verse 20 reads these are the sons of shem by their clans languages in their territories and nations yet in genesis 11 tells us that there was only one language before babel is this inconsistent in the Bible, and is Genesis written in chronological order. So we have to also realize that there is a chronologic order that is written. However, we have to look at the generations and the timeline in the generations. So when it says these are the languages in their territories and nations, that can span a long time. That can span a long time. So, so um, Babel could have happened, the incident in Babel could have happened already. Be- Since it's not completely chronological, I mean, it, it is, but at the same time, the writers skip back and forth between stories, right? And so if you are looking at the languages, Babel could have already happened, I'm thinking, possibly. Babel could have already happened, and these were the languages that were after. Maybe, right. what do you think? No, I think that the genealogies were definitely written. You, you when you look at the genealogies and the time period that, that that they covered, it's quite possible that the genealogies were written after the Tower of Babel experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, because you don't because they they and, and probably the author and it was intentional in trying to keep the genealogies all in one space rather mm-hmm. than placing time, you know, because it, it just out of convenience in order to just explain this is the genealogy, the right. okay? And, you know, rather than saying this is the de- genealogy before and this is the genealogy after, that just doesn't flow well, okay? So we've got to understand that when they, were, when they were trying to explain what was going on, they just wanted you to know in the genealogy ex- ex- section who was related to who and why. Yes. So then if, if we then go to that third question in chapter 
11, since everyone spoke the same language before Babel. Will we speak the same language that was spoken before Babel when we go to heaven? Huh? Will all other languages be forgotten? Wow. Well, if you live in South Florida, it's already been established that we're going to speak Spanish in heaven. So, um, <laughs> you know, so, so if you're from Miami-Dade, that's already been established. Um, but, but what if? I'm going to throw out a what if because this is really more of more of a hypothetical question. I, we can't delve too deeply into the theology. What if, in our perfect minds, we'll be able to understand every language spoken? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What if? I'm just throwing that out as an idea. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have brilliant minds. I I am really envious of Pastor Joe's linguistic ability because I like to travel and it's wretched to go to some country and you like using hand motions and trying to, you know, to be able to speak <laughs> that many languages, okay? But, but, but I, you know, in heaven where we're gonna be, we're gonna live in heaven forever and, and time is not an issue and we're gonna love each other. When you love people, you wanna learn to understand them. It's quite possible that we're gonna have multi-linguistic ability when we get to heaven, that, that, that no language will necessarily be lost I, I grew up in a multilinguistic society in South Africa, okay? There's, there's English, Afrikaans, Zulu, Kosa, Indibeli, and, and a bunch of sub-dialects. But the mm -hmm. cool thing is for the people who love each other, all those languages are mixed up. If you know people like in North America where they speak what we call Spanglish, okay? Yes. In Tampa, where I had a lot of Hispanic students who were bilingual, and there was a lot of Spanglish spoken, okay? Where we were just mixing our languages all together. And what if over the course of time in heaven, this is just a what if, because we love each other, that we're going to amalgamate all of our language into a heavenly language that will be a mixture of all the languages and dialects ever spoken on earth. What if? That is, that's a beautiful thought, but that would go along the lines of, you know how we say, and the Bible promises that we're going to meet each other in heaven, we're going to see our loved ones, we're going to know each other, but we're also be going to be given new bodies and so on and so forth. And we're no longer be going to be quotes and quotes married, but we're all going to be brother and sister. So given the new bodies, but we still know who each other is, that would kind of revolve and reflect what you just said. We would still be, we could possibly, this is just a possibly folks that we're, we're not, you know, hammering down that this is what we will happen. But it could it could be that that we could I could speak Ilocano to you, you could speak Afrikaans to me, and we know exactly what each other's talking about. Yep. Yep. So interesting discussion. We could talk about that all afternoon, but we have other questions. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. How do we know that the Bible is the word of God? How do we know? I was just going to give you an Adventist answer of we just know because that's what we've been told. <laughs> no, um, there is a verse that says, and the Bible was the word and the word was with God and, and the word came. We know because Bible, the Bible has been translated down from God throughout the century, through, throughout the centuries. This is the one book that has been translated into so many languages um, through hundreds of years to now be here. And we are still using it to worship and get to know our savior and he's still talking 
um, to us about this. How could there be any doubt? What do you think? I, 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 think, I think you're correct, Jen. And also, you know, the, if you try the Bible, in other words, if you live by what the Bible says, your life is better. Now, this is a 2,000-year-old book that outlines how to live life happily and effectively. And whether you believe it or not, here's the thing. I know people who don't, who, who don't believe in God, but still follow the tenets of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because mm -hmm. they have discovered that if you follow the tenets of the Bible, everything falls into place. That has to come from a divine source, guys. Yes. If there's anything that we've seen lately, if you watch the news, we realize humanity doesn't come up with stuff like this by ourselves. Nope. Nope. Can't do it. We, we tend to destroy ourselves. We have a propensity for self-destruction. Okay. So God had to give us, give it to us. And then when you, when you follow the Bible and you realize that the Bible is a book that continually points to a single event for 2,000 years, for th more, for thousands, for, for four or 5,000 years, consistently pointing to a single event in history, which is the birth of Jesus Christ. And after the birth of Jesus Christ, consistently, starting in Daniel, all the way to Revelation, consistently points to the ultimate destruction of this world and our, and our salvation at the hands of our Creator. Yes, and you, can, you can even put it to now. I mean, yes. what did he say was going to happen? Um, leaderships of all nations will fall. Brother will be against brother. If you're, if you're going to apply it to now, everything that happened this week um, is, is living out what the Bible just, what the Bible has been saying for a long time. Yep. And, and I will challenge you. Here's a challenge to the person who wrote that question. Keep on reading the Bible through with us. Keep on coming to these discussions. And you will discover on your own, just by immersing yourselves in scripture, that there's no way, there's no, it's not possible that this compilation of short stories, that's what the Bible is, a compilation of short books, none of them are very long, are a powerful connection to a powerful source. That single-minded aim is the salvation of you and me. Mm-hmm. So keep on coming. Keep on yes. asking questions. Keep on being a part of this. Okay, we're going to go to the next question. Abraham had a concubine. <laughs> and you have a <laughs> concubine. Uh. Abraham had, so I, I love where the person is going with this. Because Abraham had a concubine, then therefore, you know, because the Bible says that this should happen before. Um, can we have concubines? Now, we have to ask why Abraham had a concubine and which concubine are you referring to? Um, if we are referring to Hagar, she was the slave girl of his wife, Sarai. That was, ne Hagar was never meant to be his concubine, never meant. And so when you know the story, um, when they were promised a son and they couldn't wait and there was impatience, what happens? Our own, our, our own distrust or doubt of God makes us try to um, handle things on our own. And so now Hagar was given over to Abraham to have a son. Now, do, does God allow it? Well, does God allow free will? Yes, he does. 
And he also, if you read on, he, these were the ways that people, that women who were barren were able to have children. And so Abraham's concubine, concubine um, was Hagar, but she was the second wife. She was the lesser wife. If I don't like saying it like that, but that's what she was. And so then we think of Keturah. So now people are thinking, well, was Keturah then his concubine. Um, some people go, yes, Keturah was a concubine, but I don't think so because he legally married her um, after Sarah died. And so she was just his wife. But in all fairness, Sarah has always been the first wife. So can we, because now we see that Abraham had a concubine and then we're going to argue, oh, but so-and-so and these kings and la-da-da, they all had concubines. Can we have concubines? <sighs> I'm sorry to say, no, we cannot, because it was never meant, God always wanted to stick to the law of one man, one wife, one union. And you can see that even though he may have allowed us for our sinfulness to go, uh, to go and find other options, they were never the greatest options. Those concubines and those relationships always had a sourness that, um, that, that turned bad in the end. There was always some kind of relational aspect that made those unions not too great. I mean, if if you think that modern marriage is complicated, add a couple of more than one woman in the household. And you, you can ask the same question when we start talking about Jacob, you mm -hmm. know, constant conflict in his home. And, and, and that's not God's plan. Okay, not God's plan to have constant conflict and, and, and constant vying for attention and the constant um, competition between competing wives um, in the home. Uh, it, it is a recipe for misery. Yes. And, and most of us men, if we were honest, we're, we're too busy to take good care of one wife. <laughs> okay, to be able to take care of two. You, you, you're you, you're a, a special kind of lover of disaster. That's all I have. <laughs> okay, let's move on before we get into too much trouble here. Um, Genesis 19, verse 4. Okay, now let's read Genesis 19, verse 4, so that everybody knows what we're talking about. I've got my Bible here. Let's get 19, verse 4. This is about the Sodom and Gomorrah thing, if I'm correct. Okay, yes, it 19, is. Okay, it says, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house, okay, and they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what the scripture says here. So just taking the Bible there. So it says, is homosexuality in view here? or just abuse and violence. It's all in view there, all, all of there. it. There is homosexuality in there. I mean, Sodom, oh, that was just, oh, depravity. That was just evil. And if you read further, for, for Lot to have been willing to, sacrifice his daughters in order to let the guests be be, be protected you know that's um that's evil all of that is evil that was homosexuality 
It says it right there so that we can know them. In fact, when Lot offered his daughters to them, he was actually insulting them and saying, mm -hmm. look, really, you should want women rather than men. That was really what he was right. telling them. Um, we also have to realize, unfortunately, that in the biblical times, and, and I'm sorry, ladies, it, 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 especially at that time, women were considered property. Yes, we they, were. They, they, they weren't considered equal to or as important as men. And so he was saying, take this property rather than this, because, and this is still carried over into Middle Eastern society today. Yes. If somebody takes you into their house to protect you, yep. they are obligated by their cultural imperative to do everything to protect your life. Okay. To that, protect that the life of the guest, right? That's right. The life of a guest. Yes. yes that, that still exists in the Middle East today. Still importantly part of the of the Islamic and 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 and, and Middle Eastern culture that once you accept somebody into your home, you will protect them even if it means losing your own life. Yes. And so Lot was doing that. But we are talking here about the whole gamut. It's all sinful. Yes. Okay. It's all sinful. Um, and, and, and I'm sorry if, if, if that offends some of our folks who are struggling with homosexuality right now. I want you to know that God loves you. I love you. And we all have struggles that we're dealing with okay so there's no condemnation or i'm not better than anybody else we all have our struggles but we have to be we have to talk straight this is a deeper dive we've got to talk straight about what we're dealing with here and what the scripture is talking about and if homosexuality wasn't an issue it wouldn't have been listed with those other things now homosexuality especially when we move to the new testament is listed with a whole host of other sins and we tend to ignore those other sins and hone in on the homosexuality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay because that's an easy one if you're not gay right you know right. pick on the gays you know but right. there's there's a sin for everybody in that list um but the, the bible in every single area where where sexuality is discussed does not condone homosexuality it doesn't it doesn't so i'm uh, so, so, sorry to be offensive but we're christians and we need to hold up the truth so how would yahweh how ask, could yahweh how could yahweh ask abraham to bring his son as a burnt sacrifice mm, the son of the promise yes how could he take the son of the promise and ask him to bring him as a burnt sacrifice. In Hebrews, it says only by faith could Abraham um, obey God and do this. Now we also have to ask how many times, as I was reading through our part, Genesis 9 through 31, God promised Abraham so many times. I counted more than around six or eight in several ways that I will, through you will come my descendants. Every single time he promised either you're gonna have a son or he would say, through you will come my, um, my descendants. So much so that they are going to number um, the stars in the sky, the grains of the, the grains of sand. So he always said it. But then the question is, did Abraham always doubt him? Abraham always doubted. There was always some kind of doubt in it. But 
he always he he knew he had faith he did question how how god how is this going to happen out of me um an old man how are you going to make this happen and and god would just repeat you will be blessed and so when he finally is this is this final this is a final testing place i truly believe of um his faith in the god who promised him not only his son but his descendants and if you read through that chapter and they're going up the mountain to go and be sacrificed he knew his son didn't know but abraham knew what he was being asked to do right and as they're going up he tells he tells his servant even as isaac asked you know, I see, I see the, the altar, where is the sacrifice? Not knowing that he was going to be the sacrifice, but he tells his servant, we will be back. So it is his, he, he, he doesn't know. Abraham does not know that he knows that he's going to sacrifice him, but he believes in a God so pure that he also knows that God's going to keep his promises, whether that means he's going to resurrect Isaac or, 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 or do something else, he knows that God is going to somehow keep his promises. This is why God, Yahweh had to use Abraham as an example, as a man of faith, um, to show us all that even after all this doubt, and even after the promise that had come, that he was going to test Abraham one more time. And he's the only one, if you look throughout the Bible, Abraham is the only one who has ever been asked to give up his only son. Search it and you will find it. Abraham's the only one. And so in this test of faith, you know, just as you see it, just as about the knife's about to come down, he stopped and then he's, he looks up and God had already provided um, the ram in the thicket. So this is why Yahweh could ask because he knew, he, he just knew one more, he had to show it one more time and show all of us that there is a man who truly had faith in him. And and it's important, and, and as you read through the Bible, look for this, because there are several stories as you go through the Bible where there are types of Christs in the Bible stories, okay? Yes. And, and you'll find that as you read this, and this, this is the first illustration of that type of a situation where the Bible is illustrating, giving us an echo of what God and Jesus Christ are going to go through, okay? This is... The, mm -hmm. the, this, this is the, 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 this was this was a, a, a an enactment a pre not a re but a pre enactment of God's willingness to sacrifice His Son for us and showing the children of Israel who would follow this history God knew would follow this history that if Abraham did it God would do more. Yes. And so uh, keep keep that in mind. and look for those stories. I'm not going to tell you what they are because. Then you'll know, but, but but it's going to hit you as you read story after story, especially in the Old Testament. That's going to say this is a type of God. This is a type of Christ coming through and providing salvation for His people time and time again. There 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 are two very classic ones, but there are other even smaller stories that that illustrate this. And this is the first one. This is yes. the first one and a very dramatic one. Okay. And so this uh, question number nine is, is similar. It says um, in uh, Genesis 22, verse two, God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. But the Bible tells us that Abraham had another son, Ishmael. Is this an inconsistency in the Bible 
Or does this verse mean that Abraham only loved Isaac and did not love Ishmael? Yet when Sarah, Sarah asked Abraham to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. Hmm. There's a lot so there's, there. Yeah, that's a lot there. So the question is, um, who did Abraham, basically the question is, who did Abraham consider his son? They were both his sons. However, Isaac was the son of the promise. That's that was the son that God has promised. Ishmael was the son of our their own human desire to help God answer the promise but abraham was um, isaac was truly truly the son of the promise because that came from sarah and abraham and so he did love isaac that was his um ishmael which was his first son but ishmael was not the son of the promise but as a father he yeah. would still have concern and love for his son yeah and and, and Abraham and Ishmael remain remain connected even afterwards because as, as we as we read in our study when it came time for Abraham to be buried Ishmael came mm -hmm. to help bury his, his father, father. Mm -hmm. okay so that that can the, the, even though Abraham had to send him away there was still a a a a, a love bond between Abraham and Ishmael okay and and I think it's important to point that out simply because there's a tendency right yes. now in the in, in our political discourse in this country to demonize um the descendants of ishmael mm. and and we we need to be very careful because they they, they be not to do that because they're still a very important connection and they and, and those descendants still may need to play a very very important role in these last day events so mm -hmm. so so let's let, let's be let's be cautious i caution us not to be too islamophobic and 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 hateful towards the people of that region mm -hmm. and allow our politicians to twist our minds um but pastor jen was correct in that ishmael was the first son of the promise because the promise god made was between abraham and who Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Mm -hmm. You mean right? Isaac. Isaac, Isaac. Isaac was the first son of the promise. Yes, Isaac was the first son of the promise. Abraham and Sarah were the ones that were going to have that child. And if you remember earlier on when the three visitors came to the tent and it says, look, you two old folks are going to have a child. And Sarah she laughed. And mm -hmm. a year later, and then, then it said, no, don't laugh. It's going to happen just the way God said it was going to happen, you know? so 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 we know that so when we talk about the first child of the promise it's important to be able to latch on to that yes okay. question number 10 i don't know we, we, I, we're going to start running out of time here who would choose a spouse for somebody his or her parents so who should choose a spouse for somebody his or her parents relatives servants or a person or the person who wants to get married Huh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. Well, we have to remember that in 
whoever asked this question is possibly asking it in the turn in, in the 21st century time where right. we are very um we can do what we want. We, we are our own, <laughs> our own keepers. But back in biblical times, there were, there were what we call betrothals. So you can be, be betrothed even before you were born. Yep. In order, one, in order to keep the wealth um, within the families, and, and two, just to keep the family lines how they wanted them, you know. And so you people, kids could be betrothed before they were born or they could be betrothed as they are growing up. Um, definitely, like in the, in the event of Jacob and Rachel, of course, we know that he saw her and he fell in love with her. And so there are contracts that were made by that. And that was a, that, that was a love match, but that was also a whole, that was also a whole nother story. But um, parents can choose parents at that time. I'm going to say at that time, I'm not going to say right now, um, parents could choose who their children would marry in order to keep um, the inheritance and the family lines that they wanted or to unite different family lines that they wanted. If they wanted something from that family and this family had something that they wanted, they could unite them as well. So that's how those betrothals and covenants were made. I will tell you that it would be wise for any young person to seriously consider the counsel of their parents before they marry. And I have known many, many people who have gone against what their parents have recommended because you've got to understand when you're making the decision of who you're going to marry, you are what most of us are quite hormonally poisoned at the time. Okay. And it's very difficult to make rational decisions with, when you have more testosterone and estrogen in your systems than you know how to handle. And to have clearer minds, which are people 30 plus when your mind finally clears of that hormonal fog is helpful. So trust the advice of your parents. If they say, look, I know, I know he or she is really attractive, but I think you're going to create a mess for yourself. Listen to them, please, because they have your best thought, your, 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 your best interest. life and yeah. interest at heart. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so, so is it okay for somebody to choose? Listen, there are some people who I think you'd be quite wise to say, mom or dad, choose the best person you can find. You, you may discover that it'll work out for you. I've got a couple of my, my, my two doors down neighbors. They're East Indian people. Their marriage was prearranged. They were from India proper, really proper Indians. I mean, you know, I love these guys. They're my favorite neighbors. But, but they met and they fell in love after they were married. And it's worked out great. Mm -hmm. They've got a wonderful marriage and they're hilarious. And then we hang out with them and, and, and they, they watch our dogs for us when we go on holiday. So, I mean, you know, guys really, I mean, can, can, to take all that into consideration when you're making those decisions, yes. you, won't, you won't regret it. Okay. Listen to your parents. They know what's right and fight and, and, and seek counsel because a good marriage is wonderful. A bad marriage will destroy your life. You can't just walk away. There's, it's never a, a no-fault, pain-free divorce. So, so the answer is yes to everything. You can choose for yourself, but be careful. Get good advice. Meet with your pastor. Make sure you've got the right things in common. Because 
right now in this country, especially with the millennial generation, it's almost a 70% divorce rate. Mm, true that. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let's try to do things that are going to last. Let's use our brains. Let's grow it intelligently. Let's, let's make sure our families are, 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 are compatible and that our beliefs are compatible and that we, that, that we truly are pulling in the same direction. So anyway, I can talk about that forever. That's going to get me in even more trouble. So let's, let's move on here. Um, are the tensions in the Middle East between Jews and Arabs a result of the tensions between Isaac and Ishmael? Ooh. A 4,000-year-old sibling rivalry. Ooh. Good question. If you even think... I am going to go. What's that game show where you pick a where you pick a um, thing? I'm take take a letter, please. What is that? Is that Wheel <laughs> of Fortune? <laughs> yes, I'm going to go with a yes because if you if this is you know I, I believe it even goes it it does arise from this, but tensions go you know all the way back. If you go all the way back to even Cain and Abel, you know there were tensions there too. So it, it goes all the way all the way back to the beginning, but um, if you look at Isaac and Ishmael, you also have to remember what came from them, who the tensions that came from there. We have Jacob and Esau, and we have, we have that rivalry that comes. They were twins as well, right? Uh, we have that rivalry that comes there. If you look down through Jacob's line, there was rivalry amongst all, the, all his children. So, um, yes, I would say that the tensions of the Middle East does begin with Isaac and Ishmael. What would you say? Yeah, I, I, I think obviously that, that international politics and especially the United States um, ha, has, have flamed those issues. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. But, mm-hmm. but that rivalry has existed for a long time. For years. Um, and for any of us, like I grew up in South Africa in a tribal society. My African friends can relate to this. Okay, in tribal societies, those animosities go back many, 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 many generations, mm-hmm. and um, and and they also prevent certain regions of the world from moving on and being as successful as they could because these ancient rivalries um, are, are are continually perpetrated through society. Um, my friends from Kenya know that the Luo and the Kukuyu are always at each other's throat. My mm-hmm. friends from Zimbabwe know, know, know that it's the, 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 uh, the, the Mashona and the Indebele. If you're from South Africa, you know that it's the Zulus and the Tozas, okay? You, you know that these groups, and in South Africa amongst the whites, it's the English and the Afrikaans, yep. tribal, okay? And, and, they, and, and so, yes, I mean, the, the, those original tribal divisions mm-hmm. very much alive and well in the middle east they are yes okay chapters 39 37 to 38 was this genetic engineering what jacob did with the sheep but i will tell you also when it comes to animal husbandry that's not genetically genetic engineering 
Okay, I'm just letting you know that right now. Uh, genetic engineering is where you actually go into a lab and you split oh, yes. okay. and you take genes. Okay, what yes. we're talking about here is animal husbandry. We continue to do that. We all know, for instance, that poodles were descendants of wolves. Okay, it was like their gay cousins. You know, I so, did not so, know that. So, you know, what? Yes, I mean uh, after after Noah and the Ark, there was only one kind of dog that went out of the Ark. Okay, and all dogs descendants from th those dogs through selective breeding. Okay, the Yorkshire Terrier, if you have a Yorkshire Terrier, lovely little Yorkshire, cute little dogs. They were specifically bred in Yorkshire in, the, in England as dogs that didn't shed and wouldn't make the, the textiles smell bad to let them loose in the textile mills to hunt the mice that were in the textile mills that were wreaking havoc in them. They oh, were bred wow. specifically purpose okay and so the same thing here he just used selective breeding it's just animal husbandry that he was breeding for a specific outcome Perfect. with yes. the animals that he put them together okay so let's, let's Ooh, okay i don't know people like this it bothers me that women seem to be treated as men's possessions sexual and material in the bible was this God's design? No, this was not God's design. That was man's unfolding of what they want to be. If you look um, in the cre, if you start with creation, you will see that it's a, you will see the complete. Um, working together of the Trinity. And why I'm bringing this up is it wasn't just God who created everything. He said in Genesis 1, I believe 26, let us, let us do this. So he's talking amongst God, the Father, God, the Son, God, this Holy Spirit, let us together do this. And so they, together, they, they made creation. Now, if you take that same thing and you go into i'm now i'm going to get into the women when we when god created woman he did not it, it wasn't for for them to be treated underneath the hand of man it was meant to be a shared model a shared relationship so taking from the shared relationship from creation they passed that sh that same model down into mankind because they both shared the same flesh they were they were both given the same calling purpose to have dominion over the earth and they were both called to share in what god had given so there was always a relational, a relational um, teamwork that was that was set forth early on in the Bible, and that was not meant. And so it it is right for you to be bothered that women are treated as men's possessions. Um, that was just the sin of man. That was how it all turned out to be through free will and what patriarchally. Um, how, how men want it to happen. Um, this is how it all came about. And so this was not God's original design. What do you think, Principal Rob? No, I agree 100%. I mean, when you look at the creation story and how God created Eve, um, it was quite obvious that God wanted to have something very special between a man and a woman. And it was not a top-down relationship. Um, he, first of all, wanted Adam to recognize that he needed Eve in his life. Yes. He didn't create them both at the same time. He had Adam go around the garden 
realize his loneliness, realize that he was not complete unless he had a, a, a companion like the other creatures in the, in the garden. And, and out of that yearning that Adam had in, the heart, in his heart, God took a rib from his chest very close to where his heart is, okay? And he removed that and used that genetic material that was part of Adam. So she was part of him to create a, the, the perfect soulmate for him. No, not, not just a mate for him, but his soulmate, part of him, part, part of him physically that, that he desired and wanted. And, and I, think, I think in every woman's heart, mm. she wants to feel desired and wanted by her husband. It's programmed. Yes. We, we've, we've got to recognize that, man, that, 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 that as, as Pastor Jen said, absolutely, that the treating of women as property Treating anybody as property, but women as property was not part of the plan. Obviously, if you read the story, go back and read it. The story of Adam and Eve, it's the most beautiful love story. In fact, the fact is that Adam loved Eve so much that he allowed the whole world to go to hell in a handbasket rather than the chance of losing her. He picked up that okay? and took it back. <laughs> That's right. He knew. And, and, and if, if, if you want to get a preview of that and go deeper into that, I will be preaching on that when we, when we preach about Christ's mission in the week of prayer coming up. I'm going to cover yes. that very topic. We've got to cover that. That's important stuff. But Adam loved Eve. God melded those two together. And that's yes. God's plan for man and woman. Never property, never on the heel, always to be protected, to work together. And, and, and man was given dominion over the women just because he was responsible for her joy and her happiness. Amen. Amen. So, it was our privilege to be part of the discussion. I want to apologize for those questions we didn't get to. We just ran out of time. Great questions, guys. I just yes. want to remind you that next time, Pastor Dexter and his lovely wife, Liz, will be uh, the hosts for the next program. They're going to be covering Genesis, uh, what, Genesis 32 to Exodus 4, okay? So that's going to be some good discussions and um, something to look forward to. And those of you who know Pastor Dex, you know he's going to give you a good discussion on everything that's going on. Please, and please have, yeah, please read them daily, not all at once, because that's a lot of information to take in. So it is, and it's so much better. I need to bite the Bible off in small chunks because there's so much there. So yes, and then write down your questions and send them into the pastor's line. That number is 954-388-8780. Again, 954-388-8780. We love your questions. Thank you so much. We love this time that we've had with you. Thank you again for joining us for the Bible Unmasked. And let us close out in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the freedom, Father, to be able to worship you and open a Bible in public and not in secret, Father, and to be able to delve into your word and unmask the message that you have for us. Father, this past week's reading was filled with a lot of questions 
um, that hopefully were answered, Father, but that really spoke to your love and how your promise will continue to still reign as it did through Abraham, Father, as he continued to have faith in you, that you continue to come through with your promises as we walk through you and with you, Father, in life. And so, Father, we ask that during this next week that you continue to open up our eyes even more as we delve into the next chapters of Bible Unmasked, Lord. Let us be able to reach deep into our hearts and and be brave enough to ask the questions that we want to have always wanted to ask, but never had the courage to do so. Let this, Lord, this platform that you've given us, encourage us to ask, Lord, so that we can get to know more about you. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to learn more of your love and grace. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. amen.